Well, hi, I'm Joel McMahon, pastor at uh, St. Philip United Methodist Church, and I welcome you to our weekly podcast on this beautiful Sunday. And uh, before we go any further, let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Dear Heavenly Fathers, we bow before you at this time. We thank you for your presence with us. For you've told us that where two or more are gathered together uh, that in your name, that you would be right there with them. And we just claim that promise as we gather over the air right now. Lord, there will be thousands of people that are uh, going to gather in here at different times. But there's two of us gathered together, even if no one else is. Uh, and so we know that this promise is sure for us. And Lord, we just... Uh, Thank you for this past week, and uh, we thank you for the way that you have seen us through different things and brought us to this point to where we could just uh, look at your word and what you have to say for us today. Lord, there's some people that are listening and watching today who are ill, and I pray, Lord, that you would just touch them and make them whole, that you would heal them. We thank you. You are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You healed when you walked here on the face of the earth. You still heal today. And so we pray for healing for those who are hurting today uh, and who are ill. Lord, we pray for those who uh, need healing emotionally. We pray for those who need healing relationally. And we pray for those who need healing psychologically and just every other way that they may need healing. Touch them, heal them. Lord, those who are addicted, Lord God, I pray that you would deliver them from their addictions. Lord, we thank you that uh, nothing is beyond for you. And we just uh, thank you for this time that we have together to just dig into your word. Be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Our scripture lesson today is found in the Gospel of Luke, Luke, the ninth chapter, the 23rd through the 26th verses. We're still in our series that I'm calling Jesus Unfiltered. There's so many people that take filters to scripture. They, and a filter is any mindset that you take that doesn't just receive what God is saying to, through his word. There's so many people that have received teaching that negates what God wants you to hear. And so uh, I, I pray that today you will just set all your filters aside. I'm going to go through some of them in this passage, and then we're going to talk about the truth of this passage. The scripture, Luke 9, 23 through 26. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word today. Well, 
I've just, there are three filters that just jump out, or three different sections and categories in this particular passage that make it real scary for people. And some people just have rationalized it to where it doesn't even apply to them, or so they think. The first is discipleship. There are some people that think that there is a distinction between salvation and discipleship. They wrongly conclude that discipleship is an option for the super committed, for uber Christians, but not mandatory for all Christians. That's filter number one. Uh, when it comes to self-denial, uh, some uh, people think that this is... Uh, uh, some level of super spiritual exercise that you do during Lent. Some see it as giving something up that you really like for Lent to show Jesus that you really care. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, it seemed like people were always giving up smoking. They give up something bad for them and damaging their health, and then they take it back. Other people would diet during Lent. Now, anyway, I don't want, some people would give up desserts for Lent. And uh, in school, the good kids would give up candy. I had a cousin that tried to give up school one time. That didn't work. During Lent, uh, many times you'll find people holding uh, times of prayer and self-denial. And as we'll see in a minute, the life of a Christian is a daily life of prayer and self-denial. This isn't something that's set aside for one time of the year. It is the Christian's life. Now, the last thing uh, where we see all sorts of misconceptions is your cross. The Lord called you to take up your cross and follow him. And it's interesting to see just how many different ways people view this idea of carrying one's cross. Uh, perhaps like me, you've heard people, even some very well-meaning Christians, describe their cross uh, to bear as some illness or some physical limitation. To some, they may tell you that their cross is their unbelieving spouse. To some, it may be their rebellious children. To others, it may be a difficult boss or co-worker at work. Uh, to some, it may be a domineering uh, mother-in-law or father-in-law. But the thing is, and the thing is now, dealing with these things may involve cross-bearing. They will involve cross-bearing. But this is not what Jesus meant by taking up your cross. I've also seen some people who claim that taking up one's cross is some mystical level of a deeper spiritual life that only the uber-religious, the religious elite, can ever attain. But what did Jesus say? Let's look at the truth. He said to all. He said to everybody that was listening. He said to everybody that was there, if anyone, not if just if you want to be really special to me or if you want to really uh, be somebody in the kingdom of God, that's not what he says. He says, if 
anyone would come after me. To come after means to follow. A disciple is one who follows. It says, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. His cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Now then, first of all, looking at disciples. Uh, there's no such thing as being a Christian or a follower of Christ or saved without being a disciple. They are synonymous, just like forgiveness. Being a disciple is not optional in the kingdom of God. I heard it said a long time ago, there are two kinds of people in the world. There are saints and ain'ts. You are either saved by the blood of Jesus and you're living for him, or you're not. Now listen to what it says in Acts, the 11th chapter, the 26th verse. It says, and the disciples, the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. It doesn't say the apostles. It says the disciples. So what we see here is disciple equals Christian. If you And a Christian is a follower of Christ. So the thing is, if you bear the name of Christ, you're supposed to be a disciple. In fact, you cannot be a Christian, a one who bears the name of Christ without, in, in fact, without uh, following Jesus. There's no, how are you going to run, how are you going to repent from sin and start following Jesus if you're not going to follow Jesus? He's given an invitation, and the invitation is to follow him, and then he talks about how to do it. This reminds me a long, long time ago when Alexander the Great was uh, holding court one day, and a young soldier was brought before him for uh, some mis some, some, uh, something wrong that he had done. And as Alexander saw the young man standing there, this guy looked familiar to him. And he said, Soldier, you've been here before, haven't you? I said, Yes, sir, I have. Young man, what is your name? And the young soldier stood up proud and tall and said, It's Alexander, sir. He was actually named after Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great looked at him. And he said, soldier, either change your conduct or change your name. And I think that's what the Lord's saying to a lot of people today. Don't go around saying you're a Christian if you're not following Christ. It just doesn't work that way. Don't go around saying you're saved from sin if you're continuing to willfully live in sin. You see, these words that Jesus uh, has said here, they are an invitation to life. He says, for whoever would save his life, who hangs on to his life, is going to lose it. 
but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Huh. Discipleship. You've got to be a follower of Christ. Self-denial isn't something that's uncomfortable and terrible unless you're living in sin. And then, yes, if you're living in rebellion against God, denying yourself is something terrible because you don't want to give up your sin. But the thing is, self-denial isn't something horrible. It's something that's very natural that we learn uh, we learned to practice self-denial from a very early age. In our household, whenever our kids were small, we never baby-proofed the house. We decided that our children needed to learn to behave, that our children needed to learn uh, what to do and what not to do. And so we didn't put the knickknacks way up high and things like that. We just taught our children at a young, very young age to not mess with certain things in the house. Certain things were not permitted. Certain things were. And it's amazing how young a child can learn this. But there is a learning process. And uh, every one of my kids got to some point where they were little and just learning to talk and toddle, where you would catch them running towards some knickknack somewhere, probably on the coffee table, going, no, 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 as they were going to get it. They knew what was going to be said. They knew they were starting to learn that they weren't supposed to do what they were doing. But see, they were learning self-denial. When you have a job, if you don't practice self-denial, you're probably not going to keep your job very long, are you? If, uh, if well, I could, whenever it's time to go to work, and uh, if you don't leave right now, you're going to be late, and you don't feel like going to work. If you just decide to sleep in, you're not going to do that very often uh, before you lose your job, right? You learn to deny yourself, deny what you want to do, in order to do what you know that your employer is expecting from you. On the job, you may have an employee or an employer who just really ticks you off, but you know to practice self-control and not to punch them. That's self-denial. The impulse is there, but you control it because Self-denial is something that brings a better quality of life to us. It's not a matter of punishing ourselves for some reason. It's a matter of doing what we know the Lord wants us to do. Uh, you know, this thing about uh, employers being late to work uh, reminds me of a story that shows that uh, analogies don't always line up all the way up and down. There was a, a an employee. Well, there was a, a boss, a manager at a large department store. We'll say that had greeters, and he had hired a very personable uh, veteran to be a greeter at the door. And this guy did a tremendous job. He was so personable. Uh, he just was very helpful to everybody. Everybody just loved him. But he came to work. 
five or ten minutes late nearly every morning, and his boss decided he's going to have to talk to him about this. And so he pulled him aside one day and he said, George, um, I need to talk to you about, uh, about something. Is that nearly every day you're coming in late. You know you're supposed to be here at a certain time, and you're nearly always five to ten minutes late. Now, you were in the military, right? I said, yeah, that's right. I said, well, George, whenever you were late getting to work in the military, what would they say to you? And George kind of laughed, and he said, well, they'd say, good morning, General. Would you like for me to get you a cup of coffee? The thing is, it doesn't always hold up, but you get the point of the analogy. We have to deny ourselves in order to uh, accomplish some things in life. Jesus taught us uh, to practice self-denial in the Lord's Prayer when we pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what you're saying, first of all, start with me, Lord. May your will be done in my life. That is denying oneself in order to do the Lord's will. Jesus lived this in the Garden of Gethsemane whenever he got on his knees and he prayed, Father, if there be any way, let this cup pass from me. And then what did he say? Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus always lived out the things that he taught us. And you see, the thing is, the cross was obviously important. It was a part of why, it was the main reason why Jesus came. And obviously the father said, I'm sorry, son, there's no other way. Because Jesus got up from there and he went to the cross and there he died for our sins. You see, this should be the Christian's prayer at the beginning of every day and all during the day. Anytime we find our will in conflict with our Heavenly Father's will, with our Lord's will, our prayer should be, Lord, I'm going to do this now and I'm going to ask you for forgiveness later. No, our prayer should be, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. That's the Christian's prayer. This is what the Apostle Paul meant when he told the Corinthians that he died daily. You see, to take up your cross daily is to choose each day to live a God-pleasing life instead of a self-serving, self-centered life. It ties in with taking up our cross daily. Now you see, this is just it. What is your cross? Your cross isn't something that is bad that God wants you to pick up. He's not wanting you to pick up a, an illness or uh, an unfaithful spouse. That's now how you deal with those things. Part That could be part of your cross. What's God's will as to how you handle these things or handle these people? That's where your cross comes in, but not the person, not the particular thing.
That's not the cross. Your cross is your real life. Think about this for a moment. Why did the Father send Jesus into the world? To reveal the heart of God through his teaching, his death, and his resurrection, and to invite us into the kingdom of God, to open the door of the kingdom through his death on the cross for our sins, and to rise again to offer us eternal life, sealing everything that he said and did through the resurrection. When you take up your cross, you see, you're doing what Jesus did. You're living the life that God created you for. You get to live the life that you were created to live, being the person you were created to be. It says in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way which seems right to a person, but its end is the way of death. Now you see, there are two ways of living. There's people's way, which may seem right to them, but it leads to death. And there's God's way, which often seems to make little sense to us, but which leads to life. I can remember this whole thing of being, of living uh, a, a life of self-denial when I first became a Christian. Because you see, before that, I was, kind of, I was just taught that the reason what, for, for living was to have prosperity, power, position, prestige, and pleasure. Those were the things that life was all about. And you needed to be striving to get those things. And any time something got in the way, if any time, time God's word got in the way, because see, I was a nominal Christian, we found ways, or I found ways, to rationalize that and discount God's word. But whenever I was radically saved and came to know that the way I was living was wrong and that God had a way for me to live that was very different from the sinful, self-centered, self-serving life that I'd lived up to that point, it was almost, it was my gauge at the very beginning. If my impulse was to do something, I would know the Lord didn't want me to do that. But over a period of time, I learned, just like my children learned what no meant and learned what yes meant, I learned. And so it is with the Lord as we deny ourselves and follow him we learn a better way. And that's the point that Jesus is making here. He's saying to his followers, I know that you think your best life is going to come from seeking after your own desires and those things which make your life comfortable and those things that give you a sense of accomplishment and promote your self-esteem and self-worth. Now, if you pursue that kind of life, you may accumulate all kinds of things that you think are important and valuable. But your real self 
is actually going to die. That way may seem right to you, but it is actually the way to death. And that was what was happening to me. I was compromising inner values. I was just uh, destroying the image of God within me more and more and effacing uh, God's image in me more and more every day, living the way that I was living. And I was getting to the point where I didn't even know who I really was. And I found out that there's another way, a better way that led to life. But you see, in order to live that way, you're going to have to live in a matter that is counterintuitive to the way you naturally think. It involves choosing to give up the things that you want in order to live according to the things that uh, the Lord wants for you. It means giving up the things that might make you comfortable or make you feel good about yourself at the moment because by doing so, you're actually going to receive something that is much more valuable in return. Eugene Peterson really captures the essence of Jesus' words here in the message paraphrase of this passage where he says, Then he told them what they could expect for themselves. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way. My way to finding yourself, your true self. What good would it do to get everything you want and lose you, the real you. I think that this paraphrase just really captures the main theme of this passage. Being a disciple of Jesus is a matter of giving up that which is of little value in order to gain that which is of great value. One of the things you give up, a temporal temporary life and existence in order to gain one that is eternal. But not only that, you give up giving a life that uh, somehow makes you feel bad and is destroying your soul and having a life that is an abundant life. Actually, Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all these things that you're striving for, all these things are going to be added to you. You see, becoming a disciple of Jesus is not about our limited vision of what's in it for us. When we commit to Jesus over everything else, we actually gain something that is far more valuable than what we choose to leave behind. This has been the case with me. I remember whenever I first left the corporate world to enter into the ministry, my mother was so disappointed because she saw me just 
walking away from a promising career in life in order to do something that was going to uh, uh, never amount to anything because preachers just didn't really count. She didn't have a high esteem of them, sadly. Well, and, and but, but then she tried to rationalize, and so one day she said, okay, now then whenever you get a big church, and I just, and I, I probably was a little bit too calloused and defensive then, but I had to say, I may not ever have a big church, but I have to do what the Lord wants me to do. I have to, I have to go where he wants me to go and serve the churches that he wants me to serve. I've served churches with 6,000 members. I've served churches with 900 members. I've served churches with 150 members. Right now, I'm serving a church that has 36 members and I am fulfilled and I am at peace because I'm where God wants me right now. And there's no better place in life to be than where God wants you. And you know, all the things that I was striving for way back then, the Lord has made a way to where I have everything that I was hoping to get. He has a way. You see, when I choose not to focus on what's in it for me, I end up receiving so much more than I would ever have received had I gone after the things that I wanted for myself, by myself. In Matthew, the 13th chapter, Jesus tells two short parables that reinforce of this idea that what we receive in return when we choose to give up our own wants in order to become a disciple of Jesus is of far more value than anything uh, that we possess or desire. He says in Matthew 13, 44 through 46, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all he had and bought it. <coughs> the kingdom of heaven, which we enter when we become a disciple of Jesus, is of such great value that it is worth giving up everything that we possess in order to obtain it. It is the treasure of infinite value. Do you remember Jesus' last words, what his last words on the cross were? They were, it is finished. His work on earth was done. His mission was accomplished and death became a door into heaven for him. Do you remember what Paul told Timothy as he awaited execution in Rome. He said, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. 
I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That's found in 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. You know, many people live with a sense of destiny in their bones. They know deep down that they are here for a reason. Jesus had a purpose for being here, and he kept it. Paul had a purpose for being here, and he kept it. You have a purpose for being here, and he's inviting you to find it and keep it. He's inviting you to take up your cross daily, and you will have a rich and abundant life here, and in the future, a life that goes on forever. Someone once said, aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you wind up in the end with neither. Jesus said, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now some of you, as you've listened to this, it's just like scales have fallen off of your eyes. And you've been wondering what was wrong in your Christian life because you weren't really feeling very Christian. Well, now you know. You've been called to deny yourself and to follow him and take up your cross. Intentionally live the life that you know God has for you every day. And if you'd like to start doing that right now, I invite you just to bow your head and pray with me right now. Lord, I realize now that I haven't even gotten started with you. I, I, I walked the aisle, I prayed the prayer, I did what other people told me I needed to do. But Lord, I haven't done what you told me to do. And I repent. I realize now you are the one I answer to. Not those people from my past, but you. And you are my future. You are my life. My life is found in you. Forgive me, Lord. And thank you, Lord, for dying on the cross for for, for uh, my forgiveness, Lord, for paying the price for all the things I've done wrong. I receive the forgiveness that you offer now, and I just give my life to you. And from now on, I want to follow you 
in the way that you've called me to follow you. Not by trying to get you to do what I want you to do, but by finding what you want me to do in every situation, every day. I want to start living that life as a disciple of Jesus, denying myself daily and following you. Here I am now, Lord. I'm yours from this point on. Amen. Lord, I pray now for all those that just prayed that prayer that you would honor your promise where you uh, have said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would open the door, I will come in and sup with them. Lord, I pray uh, that you also keep the promise. He said, if anybody loves me, they'll keep my commandments and I'll love them and my father will love them and they will come and I will come and make my, and we will make our abode in them. And so Lord, I pray that you would just send your Holy Spirit, your presence into their life right now and into their heart and just fill them with the new life that comes by being filled with your Holy Spirit to help them to walk from this day forward, living the life that you have for them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, and I hope that we'll see you next week.